Some of you, some of you saw on the bulletin board this morning, or out there on the bullet, on the on the sheet, the sign that I'm doing a whole book of the Bible today, and so you're fleeing for the hills, right? <laughs> no, a whole book. I'm working on through the book of Jude. A lot of people think that the book of Jude's sole purpose is to be sort of the introduction to the book of Revelation, which, by the way, we will be starting in January, the book of Revelation. And but I want want you to be really careful when you do this, the book of Jude can be misread just as almost every scripture can. One of my professors used to say it this way, you can, do, you can use the Bible non-biblically. <laughs> and, 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 and so everybody in the seminary is going, what do you mean by that? And he, said, he says this way, so uh, you can go out there and say, but Samson got to do it, so I get to do it. Well, Samson was wrong a lot. And so don't do that. That's using the Bible non-biblically. Another way people do it is the book of Revelation, which says its purpose is to encourage the saints, is used to frighten people. And that's using the Bible non-biblically. When you read the book of Jude, it's often read this way. This is one of my commentaries in there. You can't read it. It's this little pink thing. It says, Jude, the Acts of the Apostates. Do you know what apostates is? That's a fabulous, really technical word for those that work against God. And yes, it has some of that stuff in there, but that's not the purpose of the book. So I want to go in here and just talk to you about this. I want to read some of it, and we'll just talk our way through it. But before we get there, I want you to let you know there's a fulcrum in this book. There's a center point of this book, and every single thing that happens is because of that verse. And that that is verses 14 and 15. So I'm going to read those. And and when we're in our Bible study, those of you who... uh, who come Wednesday night know that there's three themes that we always point out in the scriptures. The first one is God is Lord. The second one is he's forming a people for himself. And the third is he's producing a hope and a future for those people. So here's this one. Okay, are you ready? This is verse 14 and 15. Um, Right in the middle of 14. Listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all their ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Which one of those three themes is that? God is Lord. The Lord is God. Both those things. He's the judge. But because that's the fulcrum, or the pivot point of this of this book, everything before we get there is then repeated slightly different on the other side of that. For instance, I'm just just so you're aware, there's this spot right in the beginning. I love this. It's one of my favorite little promises of scriptures. This is the beginning of the book. The letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you because God keeps you safe. Have you ever thought about that for a second, that that your safety is in God's hands and he's kept you? Now, when you reflect that through the scripture that says he is Lord, 
The end of the scripture, we'll get there. It says this, now to him who is able to keep you. So it repeats that promise, but the Lord can keep you. You thought you might be kept, but, but who does that? The Lord does that. So let's read and let's do this, okay? This is a letter from Jude, a slave of Jesus and a brother of James. A lot of, lot of sort of issues around this. A lot of people think Jude is one of Jesus's brothers, just as James was, and that they won't say, look, we're a brother of Jesus because they didn't believe during his lifetime, but they call themselves slaves. And a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. There's only two types of people in the world. And if you're talking about computers, that's people that have lost things and those that will. Those of you who use computers will either lose something or you have. And you might do it again. But in in the vision of God, there's only two types of people. Those that have accepted him, that have heard him call them, and those who have not heard that call. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we share, but now I find I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once and for all to all his holy people. Did you know that? You're not just kept in the care of Jesus, but you're called to defend the faith that he's given to you. Peter says it this way, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. That's how you defend the faith, right? How do you give an answer for the hope that you lies within you? Well, Jude puts a little twist on that, and we're going to get to it. But first, we're going to go into the Acts of the Apostates. I say this because some ungodly people have worn their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Let's just take a moment to say that. God's got so much grace, it's just okay to do whatever you want. He'll just cover it. Well, yes, he will when you seek forgiveness, but when he's inside of you, doing, living inside of you, it's not so that you can just go out and do whatever you are, uh, want to do and do whatever and just hurt people. It's, he starts to cause you to want to follow his decrees and to love his word and to not do this. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, uh, before I, let me pause there for a second. Did you, did you catch that? They've denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, when I was a brand new pastor, somebody came up to me and asked me this question. You ready? What's the unforgivable sin? She then told me that she had asked every pastor she'd ever had and never got an acceptable answer. That they all waffled and sort of went away from it. And I said, well, since I'm about to start a series on whatever questions you want to ask, I'll start with yours next week. And I started and I preached. This is the unforgivable sin. As far as I can tell, this is a theological answer. There's not one spot you can, you can't go take your thumbtack and put it in the scriptures, say that's where it is. You have to read the scripture and there's one, one thing 
you don't ask. You don't ask for forgiveness. You don't accept the forgiveness that's offered. That's the unforgivable sin. Why? Because it's offered and you didn't ask. You didn't want it. And you're left unchanged. That's my answer there. So anyway, but they denied him. And you can see that throughout scripture. There are people that deny and deny and deny. And pretty soon God says, well, that is your choice. It is. So I want to remind you that you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you that the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority of God, but gave up and left the place where they belonged, God has kept them secretly chained in prisons of darkness and waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the judgment of God. Now, I need to do just a little bit of work here around some Old Testament stuff for you. Okay, so what are they talking about? That the Israelites came out of, out of the desert and, and then they turned away. So the Israelites come out of Egypt, all this miraculous work of God, they come straight to the land, like you're straight out of Egypt and you come up to the land and there's, there's people in the land and so they take 12 spies to go look out at the land and they look and they come back and Joshua and Caleb says, man, it's awesome. God's going to do great work. And the other 10 say, yeah, there's giants in the land and we can't handle it. How did they get out of Egypt? Let me ask you that question. Did they do that or did God do it? No, if you couldn't handle the first thing, what makes you think that you're going to need to handle the second thing? So what happens is, is they said, no, we're not going in. And God said, well, you can go spend 40 years in the desert because none of you who said we're not going in are going in. If you want to know where that is, that is in Numbers 13 and 14. Now, in Genesis 6, there's this spot, and this is really curious, because when you put it next to Sodom and Gomorrah, I need you to understand this, that in Genesis 6, there's this spot where it says angels left their spot, and they wanted to know the daughters of men. Well, if you've been reading your scriptures for any length of time, you'll know that when somebody, wants to, when somebody knows somebody, that's a euphemism for having sex. But when you put it next to Sodom and Gomorrah and there's angels in the town of Sodom and the people come and do this, then those people are actually seeking to do the opposite, which is to have the angels. Let me just say this. This shouldn't really need to be said, but I will say it anyway. You know, you should not have sexual relations outside of your own phylum. That's kind of what's going on here, right? Right, Not outside of your own genetic tree, right? Not, you know, there's all such sorts of critters in the world. They're not humans. That's what's going on here. That's some work. But they did these things because they didn't, they, they didn't accept the places that they were given and wanted to go outside and wanted to be the judge and wanted to work on their own. In the same way, these people, and now we're back to the people that have wormed their way into their congregation, 
These people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. Have you ever met somebody that just had had an experience and their experience was so authoritative in their life that there was no escaping, that whatever their experience was, everything else had to change around that? A couple of weeks ago, I spent about six hours with a person who'd had a, a I, I hesitate, a spiritual experience, but I would not call it a religious experience. That God just he just could not trust that God could love him because of that experience and that experience and, and I kept saying to him this I don't doubt your experience. I believe you had an experience where you felt profoundly not cared for. I just don't think your interpretation of it that that was God doing that is correct. You can't always look at your dreams and say, well, those are authoritative over the scriptures or those are authoritative over the word of God who works in our lives, who says, man, I love you and I'm going to able to keep you in that care. I just want you to hear that. So your experiences, you've been places, all of us have been hurt because we live on earth. And those experiences are big in our life, but they're not authoritative. They don't have the last word in our lives. But even Michael, this is one of these interesting spots, one of the mightiest of the angels did not dare to accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. Now, we don't have this book anymore. This is lost. Part of this book is called The Assumption of Moses, and it's referred to in the first century, but it's been lost over time. This is interesting. What happens to us when the Lord is God and you're not? Do you go around judging people and rebuking them and saying, well, you've done that wrong and you need to do it right and all this stuff? Here's a story. Michael, the archangel, the mightiest of them all, he doesn't even judge. He asks God to judge. He waits. The Lord rebuke you. Not me. I can't do this. He's doing in that. And by the way, that is straight out of Zechariah chapter 3 as well. Some of you have received emails from me, and it'll often have this thing called a stick snatched from the fire in it. Have any of you seen that? This is where this comes from. This is Zechariah chapter 3. Then the angel showed me Yeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations about Yeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, rebuke you and reject your accusation, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from a fire. Now, if you're a stick and you get put in the fire, do you have any future? You have a very short-lived future, don't you, in a fire? But if you get pulled out of a fire, then maybe your, fire, your, your future is different. And even Aaron's rod, he had this walking stick, which budded later. You don't know what God's going to do with that because he can add life. But if you get disintegrated in the fire, it's over for you. That's your future. That was the way I felt about my own life. Yeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, Take off those filthy clothes and turning to Yeshua, he said, See, I've taken away your sins and now I'm giving you these new clothes. 
We've all lived on earth and we've been hurt and it's not always been the most fun place to live. It's he who is able. He is calling you and you have heard his call and he is able to keep you. I want you to hear that as we do this. But you should not be judging because you're not the judge. That's very simply put. If the archangel Michael doesn't think he's the judge, who are we? Let me just get there for a second. Let's go. But these people scoff at things they don't understand like unthinking animals. They do whatever their instincts tell them and so bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them for they follow in the footsteps of Cain. Footsteps of Cain. If you want to know these stories, this is Genesis 4. Cain kills his brother. He knows what's right and doesn't do it. He knows what's right. Who killed his brother like Balaam, who they deceive people for money. Balaam, if you want to know Balaam, Balaam has this massive story in Numbers, Numbers 22 to 25, three chapters on this guy. He's a prophet in, in a foreign land. Israel's going through there and the king of the land wants to go to war to destroy the Israelites, but knows they're blessed by God. And so he calls, I need a counter blessing. I need to have them cursed by God so that then I can do this. So he calls his prophet Balaam and says, come, I'll pay you money, curse them so that then we can have a battle. Because, you know, even the foreign king knows that not everything is just flesh and blood, that there's also spirit. And Balaam, some of you know this story, right? Balaam's on his way and his donkey resists him. And then he goes, and instead of cursing the Israelites, he blesses them. And then the king from Moab calls him back, Balak, and says, curse them. And, and he pays him more money, and he comes back and he blesses them. And, and then the king Balak calls him and says, no, I'm paying you a lot of money. I need you to curse them. And so Balaam comes back and blesses them again. And then curses Balak. <laughs> And so Balak comes to him and he goes, what is going on? He goes, well, I can't do what God won't let me do, but if you would take some people and we could seduce the Israelites away from God, then I could curse them. And then Balak goes about that process following that thing. This is the sin of Balaam. Look, you know what's right, you don't do it. You know what's right and you know how to take them down, you go about eroding the foundation underneath them. That's what Balaam's problem is. Have you ever met that person that does that? I have. I've met that person. They deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. You want to know about Korah? Korah, you go read number 16. Korah comes up to Moses after the law has been given and says, you can't put this kind of law on us. It's too hard. I'm going to take charge. And, and then Moses says, you judge between us. Tomorrow, God will judge. Moses says this thing. This is really amazing in there. He, he's telling people, if tomorrow they die a natural death, then God is not God. Don't touch anything of his 200 soldiers. And you can read this. The ground swallows them and their tents and their belongings whole. 
It's sort of like the angels who, who left their position are said to be kept in, in pits and iron chains. Though a pit is a hole. Here's Korah's rebellion, same kind of judgment. There's no, there's no mistaking this author knows what he's doing when he starts bringing up these examples. So here we are. They are like wild waves on the sea. Oh, I skipped a spot. All these people that have sort of snuck in amongst us, they're like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They're like trees in autumn that are doubly dead for they have no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They're like waves of the sea churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They're wandering stars doomed forever to blackest darkness. That's what people are like, but... There's something else going on here. I, I want you to remember when we were doing James, I used to say this, right? If it's in James, it's in Jesus. If it's in James, it's in Jesus. If it's, since these are brothers and they write some of the most beautiful stuff, here it is. If it's in Jude, it's in Jesus as well. If you look at Matthew 13, the wheat and the tares. Do you know this story? They come up and, and there's wheat and there's weeds right in amongst it. And the people go, what should we do, master? Should we go pull up the weeds? And the master says, no, if you pull up the weeds, you'll pull up the good stuff too. Save it for the end and we'll handle it. What he's saying is, you're not the judge. Let the judge handle it. The judge will handle it at the end. It'll all be obvious, and we'll just clear it out at the end when all of them are ready. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming. Here's the fulcrum. The Lord is coming with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the world, and he will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's the fulcrum. Everything in the front that I've just talked about is now going to start being turned through that judgment. Who's the Lord? God. If I were to say that, let me ask you again. Can you just say that? Who is the Lord? God. God. And who's the judge? Okay, perfect. These people, because he's God and they're not, are grumblers and complainers. Living only to satisfy their own desires, they brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. But you. There's my favorite word in the scripture, but right in the middle of all those big spots in scripture, there's something happening. But you, my dear friends, must remember that the apostles of the Lord predicted this. They told you that in the last days there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their own desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions amongst you. They follow their own natural instincts. Remember, they're like animals following their instincts from before because they don't have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and wait and await the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love and you must show mercy to those who are, whose faith is wandering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. There's that snatching word again. Show mercy to still others, but to do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. I want you to notice this one thing here for a second. How do you contend for the faith when God is judge and you're not? 
You await for mercy and you show mercy and you give mercy. How do you contend for the faith? You give mercy. Let me read this again. You must build each other up in your faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of the Lord. How many of you think that says, go out and slam somebody in the face with a Bible? This is not what it says. When they're struggling, show them mercy. When their faith is wavering, show them mercy. When they're they're nearing the flames of judgment, show mercy. But do so with great caution. In other words, not hating the sins that contaminate their lives. That doesn't mean love the sinner, hate the sin. I hate to tell you that. There isn't a sinner out there in the world that when you say, I love the sinner and I hate the sin, they don't feel hated because you've hated the things they're doing. But you show mercy because you're not the judge. Because you don't have the authority to do anything else. But show mercy. You can only do this. And here it is. This is the end. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and bring you with great joy into his presence without a single fault. All glory to him who is alone God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are all his before all time and in the present and beyond time. Is there any room in there for you to be the authority or judge? Shall we do it again? I almost feel like singing a song we already sang. Great are you, Lord, right? Didn't we sing that song just a moment ago? All glory to him who alone is God. Our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, all glory, majesty, power, and authority are His before all time and in the present and in beyond all time. So, if I say before all time, right now, and after all time, where's the spot for you to be judge? There isn't any. Just be merciful. That's the call, because that's how we contend for the faith. I really want to get this through to you. How do you contend for the faith? You show mercy. Because the world doesn't show mercy to people. The world kicks them when they're down. But mercy, the mercy of the Lord, which is able to woo all those who are broken into his presence. You contend for the faith by building each other up in love, even when somebody amongst us is causing divisions. You show mercy. Because there are two types of people in the world. Those that have heard God call and those who haven't. If you want them to hear, then show mercy. If you want them to hear, show mercy. Let's say this again. If you want them to hear, show mercy. This isn't a book about the acts of the apostates. This is about how do we contend for the faith and build each other up in love with mercy. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your love. May we, who have been shown great mercy, show mercy. In your precious name, amen.